You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and the intro today is going to be really short because I'm trying to cram in editing a podcast before I go to the Omaha Zoo with the family, and uh, today we are going to be joined by a new friend out of West Virginia, first timer on the podcast. His name's Rick Bebout, and we're going to talk a little bit about everything. We're going to talk about fishing for smallmouth bass out of the the local rivers we're going to talk about turkey hunting and of course we're going to talk about bow hunting for the whitetail deer and uh it's just a really good overall podcast he also talks a little bit about an urban hunt uh that he helped helped introduce into the morgantown west virginia area um, to kind of take care of some overpopulated deer uh the overpopulated deer herd and that's a really cool story and this is just an overall really good podcast we get into a whole bunch of different things including some conservation topics as well but uh before we get into the main podcast i would really appreciate it if you guys would head over to huntersafetysystems.com and huntersafetysystem.com and uh, take a look at all the tree harnesses that these guys offer because if you are hunting without a safety harness these days uh, especially if you have a wife or children at home, it's not worth it, right? Uh, you hear these stories every year about guys falling out of trees. Some of them get lucky and they only break an ankle or an arm or a leg. Uh, some guys aren't able to walk ever again. And worst case scenario, you hear those stories about people falling out of a tree. And now, uh, let's say the... Uh, the wife doesn't have a husband and the children don't have any dad anymore so uh, uh, I always turn around and go get my safety harness especially if I forget it Uh, it's something that uh, I used to not do but uh, a couple close calls definitely changed my mind and now a safety harness is probably my number one piece of hunting gear uh, when I am uh, in a tree stand so take advantage of your life i guess and uh, go visit huntersafetysystem.com take a look at their harnesses now without further ado let's get into today's hunter profile podcast with rick bebout all right on the phone with me right now mr rick bebout how you doing man great it's a beautiful sunny day here in morgantown west virginia I tell you what, I wish it was a beautiful sunny day. We've had like three days of rain in Iowa. The I, some of the farmers are getting their crops in, but a lot of them are not, and uh, we got flooding. And I just, I just want want it to dry out and be sunny for a couple days so I can go mushroom hunting. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've had some friends in the last couple of days uh, post some pictures of, of pretty pretty good morel harvests, and uh, so they're doing pretty well, I think, here with this these warmer days. Gotcha. 
Gotcha. So you mentioned you lived in Morgantown, West Virginia. What do you do for a living? Uh, I'm, an, I'm a technology specialist, uh, focusing most on instructional design okay. uh, here at West Virginia University. Okay, West Virginia. Now, your football coach is Dana Holgerson, right? Well, uh, it was. It was, uh, and he is. Uh, he's left. Uh, he's he's he left this past off season. That's right. Uh, to Houston, and now we have a, a gentleman by the name of Neil Brown, who uh, uh, everyone's really looking forward to uh, a change in culture. Right. Right. Okay. So I have. I I know this isn't relevant anymore, but I have to tell you a a story about the Let's old the old football coach Dana Holgerson. All right. So. Dana, when he was in college, he played for a very small, or he started off playing for a very small uh, college called Iowa Wesleyan, and that's in my hometown of Mount Pleasant, Iowa. And every once in a while, the football players, they would come over and just hang out with the kids during recess, right? And uh, Dana Holgerson would come and he would play uh, football with us. And that was back when we could play tackle football uh, at recess. (laughs) And so I remember uh, running out for a pass, him throwing a bomb to me. I caught it in a touchdown. So for some reason, I think that's awesome. So I tell everybody like, oh, the coach, uh, head coach for West Virginia, now Houston, uh, he, uh, he threw a touchdown pass to me when we were playing football at recess. And I think I was like, Oh, fifth grade, fifth or sixth grade, or something like that. So uh, I always get a kick out of telling that story. That, that's a great story, and, and you know, I grew up here, and, and when we were growing up, we played pop Warner football, and oftentimes uh, our coach would bring some of the football players at WVU to our little end of year banquet. And I remember looking at those guys like you know, like people look to NFL stars now. Right. You know, when you're eight, nine, ten years old, you look at these guys you see on TV. You see in the newspaper every day, and you're just awestruck by by these guys. So I can totally relate to, to that story. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, and then, uh, let's see here. So he's gone to Houston now. Uh, is is West Virginia a big like a big football state? Uh, you know, it's it's the 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 Mountaineers are pretty much the team for most of the state. You know, there's Marshall University in, in the uh, southern part of the state. But I think a lot of the, the population relate to WD football. We don't have any pro teams. Uh, the closest is uh, yeah. the Steelers to the north, you know, Cincinnati and Cleveland to the west, D.C. to the east. But I think most people, WD sports is, is really the, the main focus sports-wise to, yeah. to most people. Yeah, that's what it's like here in Iowa. I mean, we don't have any pro teams in the state. So when it's college football season, like I live just north of Iowa City, uh, the where everything like is the mecca. Obviously, we have one of the best wrestling programs uh, used to, uh, one of the best wrestling programs in the entire nation. Uh, we have you know a you know, top twenty-five football team typically every year, and uh, once it's college football season, that's when things start ramping up in the state. Yeah, how far are you from from Ames? Uh, I'm about two hours, well, two and a half okay. hours from Ames. So Iowa State, yeah, that's where. Because you guys are in the West Virginia yeah, in the Big, Big Twelve. 12 now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, this yeah. Uh, there's I would say seventy five percent of the state roots for 
the Hawkeyes, and the other 25% root for the, the Cyclones. It's more of a localized uh, thing, but nonetheless, uh, it's very competitive. Nice. Yeah, yeah. But we're not here to talk about college football, although I could, I could talk about it because that's, it's like my second favorite thing to do other than hunt is watch college football. I agree. I agree. So how have you had an opportunity to go out turkey hunting this year? Yeah, you know, I've been out a couple times and uh, was successful. Uh, the, the first week our season opened, uh, I want to say the 15th of April. I think on the 17th or 18th, I took a, a pretty nice bird. Um, I think it had about an eight-inch beard. It was a two-year-old. Yeah. Uh, just had little pimple spurs, full fan though. And then um, the weather, you know, really wasn't friendly. We had a lot of cold mornings, rainy mornings. And the birds have just have really acted weird this year. And um, I just kind of kind of gave up on them. I might get back out a couple times, but it's just uh, it's frustrating when you go out and and they're they're shut up and it's cold and it's it's just not really turkey hunting weather. You know what I mean? Yeah, I hear that, man. I t- uh, my wife was lucky enough to get one right off the roost uh, on opening day of the second season here. But you got yours with a bow, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's uh, I think it's the the fourth fourth bird I've, I've taken with a bow yeah so i only really dedicate three days out of my entire year to turkey hunt i wish i could do more and if i could do more i'd probably start chasing them with a bow but i have never shot a turkey with a bow and every year that i don't do it it makes me want to do it even like i want to put more time and energy into doing it the following year and i just i always procrastinate and i'm just like all right well i'm just going to use a gun because it's easier well and it's great though you're getting you're getting your wife and i've kind of followed some of the things you're doing with your uh with your family and making it a big production and i think you have a, a kind of a, a short video coming out pretty soon right about yeah. the whole family experience and turkey hunt, which is fantastic yeah, i'm get it's that should be here pretty soon actually i'm, I'm excited I, I got actually got a text yesterday from well let's see i don't even know today's may 1st when we're recording this and uh um so yesterday i got a a text from the camera guy and editor who says he's going to knock he should be getting me a trailer uh by the end of this weekend uh starting next week so i'll be posting that on social media and hopefully uh i I know it's going to turn out awesome I'm, i'm excited to get it out that's good. That's great. Yeah, people, people. I'm sure will be really anticipating uh, getting a hold of that. Yeah, absolutely. So, is is turkey hunting something that you like? You go crazy about, or is it just something to do because you can't deer hunt all year round? Uh, yeah, it's something to do between the end of deer season and the beginning of of uh, smallmouth bass uh, in 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 late April and May. It's, gotcha. I like it, and uh, and I, I respect the turkeys, uh, but it's not my my uh, not one hundred percent in my wheelhouse. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I have friends and relatives that that live for it and can spend all day. You know, if, if I go out and sit past eight thirty, uh, that's that's my attention span. <laughs> and and people and people don't and and diehard turkey hunters say, well, how can you sit in a deer stand day in and day out all day? And you can't sit till ten o'clock in the turkey woods, and they just they just don't understand. Just if they're not gobbling, and there's not a lot of action, I just can't do it. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. I hear that, man. Um, 
But smallmouth bass, you mentioned something. That is literally my favorite fish to catch. I love catching smallmouth bass. Uh, just I, I call them the bicep of the water, right? They're just like this this strong fish that is aggressive. It fights a lot. And uh, so how what are you you catching them in streams or lakes or rivers up out there? What? Yeah, so we, we're really fortunate here in the state. We have a number of uh, medium to large rivers all through the state uh, that have really great populations. Uh, we fish, uh, I have a, a little 14-foot um, whitewater raft. has a three-seat frame, and uh, we, we fly fish for them. We, oh. we spin fish for them. And uh, I tell you what, I mean, that's you know, once May gets here, uh, really May through middle of June, it's great. Uh, once the water temps, uh, water levels drop with, with the summer, uh, it gets a little tough to, to get on some of the smaller rivers. But then things pick up about September, uh, and I'll fish all the way into the 1st of October. Right. So is the, I mean, when you say it's good, uh, is, you go out some days and you just, your thumb sore from lipping them? Yeah, my friends get upset sometimes because I'm a I can be a downer if the numbers are down. But on on most of these rivers, I mean, between fifty and seventy five fish is a, is what I expect you in, know, in, a in, a, in a day. In a day, in a day, in in total, uh, in the boat, um, you know, we can have more than that. And some of these rivers can have few of it. And and in seventy five fish, most of them are dinks. You know, yeah, eight ten inches, but. Uh, we we land some really nice fish on on different uh, bodies of water, and you just never know. So it's yeah. good to get out, float down the river, see all kind of wildlife. We were out a couple of weeks ago, saw bald eagles and wild turkeys. Last year we had a black bear swim the river in front of the boat about a hundred yards. Oh wow! That's so you awesome. just never know what you're going to see see out there. Right. So um, do you mostly do catch and release, or do you keep the the ones that you know? make make the cut yeah i let them all go uh usually if i eat fish uh my my, my dad is old school uh, and uh i take him i have a good bit and uh, we'll hit some stock trout streams yeah so if he wants some some uh some fish for his smoker his grill we'll uh we'll break a few necks stock fish gotcha. but for the most part i just i just let him go yeah that's typically what we do too uh if we're gonna if we're going to try to catch a fish we'll uh, to eat, we'll try to catch some walleye. But if every bass we catch gets thrown back, um, or we go and we try to catch some bluegills or crappie, and uh, those yeah. we, those are yeah. for the fryer, and then for the for the fun or the the bass. But I might That's, have to absolutely if you're if you're catching even small like I I love catching fish. Period. They don't have to be huge lunkers, right? I might have to sneak out to West Virginia and force you to twist twist your arm and force you to take me. Uh, smallmouth fishing one of these days we could we could definitely work that in <laughs> easily easily and uh and we'll say like maybe maybe five float trips for one three-day iowa bow hunt <laughs> and trade. man i wish it was that easy if i had my I own, know. if if i had my own property i'd be like come on out everybody i'll trade you this hunt for this hunt and this this uh, adventure for that adventure i would do it but Man, I feel like no trade, no trade required. If you can get three days in the next couple of years and get out here, we'll uh, we'll make it happen. Make it happen I mean, right. it's just lights out. May May and June is is lights out. That's awesome. Uh, I'm just I'm trying to get out of here 
from the office uh, probably next week, a couple of days, and then leading up to Memorial Day is when it fishes the best. Yeah. So you mentioned fly fishing. I have a fly rod hanging in my garage, and I practiced with it a couple times, you know, not necessarily bad, but definitely not good. Um, how long did it take you to learn how to fly fish? Well, it, it's, a, it's a lot of work. I was fortunate to have some friends and family that were really good at it. So just tagging along with them and watching and, and listening and having them, you know, uh, intervene and, and show me things. But it's really not that, that difficult uh, once you get out there and, and have some time to put to it. Uh, and those bass bugs are so big. And if you have a heavy rod and good line and, and decent equipment, you can you can cast them pretty easy, especially out of a boat. You know, you don't have to worry about trees. Uh, really, you just have to worry about snagging your your buddy's head. Uh, the other guys in the, the other guys in the boat. But that's really it. Yeah. You know, what are you, what are you using for a, a fly or a, a lure on those rods? Yeah, so we use a big uh, number two. For, I'll catch them on top, a big number two uh, fly called a Sneaky Pete. It's a big topwater bug, kind of a conical head. Yeah. And then for uh, for subsurface, we use uh, big streamers. And that's the thing that I've done the most different in the last couple of years, using these streamers that are five, six inches long. And these bass just inhale them. Yeah. And uh, so that's a lot of fun to watch a, watch a uh, 15-inch bass inhale a six inch fly you know just at the boat it's a lot of fun yeah what's the biggest uh smallmouth you've ever caught you know i think i caught it uh, a couple weeks ago uh we we taped it at a hair over 19 and it was kind of bouncing around and wasn't cooperating i wanted to get him back in the water so i may have got 19 and a half out of him but uh, he was every bit 19 for sure uh but that's about it my brother got one what do you think he weighed is that is that nineteen inches? Uh, is that about four pounds? He's about four pounds. <laughs> yeah. And I tell you what, I caught a four pound, just under four pound, uh, smallmouth off the Mississippi River one year, and I felt like I was reeling in like a ten pound fish. It was awesome. I I, I absolutely loved it. Yeah, that's. I mean, they're they're just. Uh, I always said if you could cross uh, a native brook trout and a and a smallmouth you would have the ultimate fighting fish. I mean, both of them fight so much harder right. than they actually are body-wise. It's amazing. Right. I mean, I, I always uh, hear people talk about West Virginia, too, because um, it, they just say it's gorgeous out there, right? It's like it's true, and I don't know where what the terrain is like where you live, but they say it's like that true Appalachian views right the the mountains the the valleys the the rivers and, and streams is that the case where you live yeah i mean uh to through the majority of the state is like that um five minutes from my house uh, cooper's rock state forest you can just see the most representative you know view sheds big deep deep valleys and rivers and you know, see forever so it's like that throughout the state the state you've seen probably pictures of the new river gorge bridge and the new river gorge it's it's really really a beautiful state and you know heavily forested uh throughout most of it so it's uh it's really pretty and pretty all throughout the year and, and certainly in the fall 
when the fall colors start to pop it's it's really beautiful i believe it so is it mainly hardwoods or is it uh, big pine stands as well yeah mainly hardwoods gotcha. mainly hardwoods and uh they have some pine places but it's mostly planted stuff you know gotcha. old plantations but mostly overwhelming majority is it's hardwoods gotcha so you're also a deer hunter um and when people say you know you got these beautiful views these big valleys and gorges uh my mind instantly goes to knowing that you're already a deer hunter that it seems like you got to put in a little extra work going up and down you know chasing these things in the fall you do you do um uh and it's and it uh you know just history wise and having history with these different properties figuring out how to navigate around them um I'm not as in, a, in as good a shape as some of my friends, certainly. But uh, you know, they're they're uh, they're hitting the gym every day, and they're they have a, a little healthier lifestyle than me. I'm certainly not completely out of shape, but uh, yeah, it takes a little work. But you know, um, just getting out and, and putting some boot, boots to the ground and, and figuring things out, uh, it's super manageable. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about the terrain, you know, like on a typical piece of property that you hunt, what's it look like? You know, I, I hunt everything from, uh, from properties here in town in our urban hunt, uh, you know, 50 yards off somebody's lawn to, uh, some private, uh, property that I own and my, my family owns just outside of town, uh, 10 minutes. That's kind of, uh, old, old farm farmstead that, uh, you know, they don't run cattle on it. It's, it's been engulfed by multiflora rows and, and crab apples, and it's kind of traditional farm country. And then uh, we, have some, we have some state property, some public. Uh, it's, it's a little more, uh, you know, steep, uh, just outside of town. Tons of, tons of access. Now, the university owns a big chunk of forest. Then we have Cooper's Rock State Forest. It's a little more aggressive in places, you know, steep-wise. Got the big Cheat Canyon, Cheat River Canyon. And then uh, down to the southern part of the state, a friend of mine uh, has his family farm is, is a traditional, what I would call a traditional Appalachian farm, you know. that sits at the base of a mountain, big uh, hay fields that lead up to, you know, just rolling hardwoods and, and uh, really, really ideal deer, deer habitat. Right. So that last one that you mentioned uh, throughout the, you know, throughout the state, is there a certain property or, or terrain type that holds more deer and better quality deer? Well, you're going to, yeah, we get the, the numbers in the, any, anywhere where we have a little bit of agriculture, whether that's, we don't have a lot of row crops, but we do have a lot of, um, you know, a lot of alfalfa, hay fields. You seem to see a lot more deer there, and then um, you know a lot of you know I think our 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 county that I live in is probably like a lot of rural counties. Um, a lot of the the cities have kind of expanded out into the countryside. You have a you have a, 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 a family, a mother and father, that have passed away, and they've they've left the farm to their their children. Their children don't live here anymore, or have no interest in the property, and they sell it. Next thing you know, you have you know uh, little little uh, townhomes and houses, and so it's it's changed a lot in the last twenty years. But uh, we certainly we have more deer 
where we have a where that mix of hardwoods and and agriculture uh, come together yeah sounds good man um now do you out of all of those whether the deer are big or there's a number of deer do you have a do you have a favorite place to hunt out of all those you know each, each of those places has a kind of a sweet spot for me um I like to hunt my family farm just because of the tradition. Um, my my friend's farm in the southern part of the state is kind of where I've learned the most, probably, uh, from deer hunting just because there were so many deer, you know. And then uh, some of the public, you know. Uh, my dad worked a lot of hours, so I hunted a lot growing up with my cousin and my uncle. And uh, we would we would spend, you know, all day Saturday uh, in, uh, the, the state forest. So each of those kind of has a special place now. Uh, it's either if I'm not hunting in town, uh, or just outside of town uh, on my family's farm and I have a, a day or two, you know, I'll jump in the truck and I'll go down and hunt with my friend and his farm in the Southern part of the state. Yeah. Yeah. So in a typical year, let's say, let's say if you shot every big deer you saw or, um, every year or the biggest deer you saw or whatever, what is a, what's a good representation, uh, for a West Virginia buck? Ooh, and I know that's a high level question. question because the terrain, yeah, the no. terrain is, is so big, you know, um, here in town and, and into my property outside of town, you know, a, a, a Pope and young one twenty five inch buck is, is a pretty good buck. Yeah. You know, we do have bigger, obviously, but, uh, I think somebody kills something like that every year, uh, in and around here. That's pretty good. Gotcha. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, the state forest I mentioned, he went to a, uh, a, some serious restrictions a couple of years ago. I think it's 14 inch minimum inside spread. Okay. And they're killing some big deer up there. Not, not a lot of deer, but some big deer in the, in the one sixties oh, wow. up there uh, every year. And then my friend's farm in the Southern part of the state, uh, you know, 125, 130, 135, maybe gotcha. uh, is a, is a really good deer there. So, uh, you know, yeah. Like anywhere else there, there's some big ones sprinkled in here and there, but on average, I think that's about right. Gotcha. Pretty accurate. Gotcha. And maybe I'm thinking about Virginia, but one of these states has a couple bow only counties or bow only areas that is really, really good bow hunting. And maybe I'm mistaken West Virginia for Virginia. No, that's, that's, that's West Virginia. Okay. So that's uh, four counties in the, in the Southwestern corner of the state. Very rugged, uh, very mountainous, um, very, you know, very low deer density. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's where the big deer come out consistently. Gotcha. And, 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 and there the size jumps way up. Yeah. Uh, 170s is, is not uncommon to hear, see deer come out of there every year, but very difficult to hunt. Yeah. Yeah. And that's because of the terrain, right? Because of the terrain, because of the, the low deer density. Yeah. You know, uh, you talk about guys going out and, and sitting for a week and, and seeing a handful of deer yeah and that's not that's not for everybody you know what i mean i hear that 
I tell you what, back in the late 90s, early 2000s when I was hunting in, in Iowa, and I would say if I could go back then, I would say that there was a bit of an overpopulation problem throughout certain parts of Iowa where I'd see 20-some deer a day, you know, a, a, a sit, right? Just in an evening sit, I'd see 25 deer. Sure. Now, that those numbers are way down, and I, and I think that's a good thing. Right. Especially just, you know, from where, where we're at, I think that when you bring, when you manage the population a little bit better, it allows for the bucks to hit their full potential. Um, just because there's less competition for food, more food. And, uh, I think that, you know, there's always been big bucks in Iowa, but I think that there's more of a, um, a structured age age range if that makes sense when the yeah. pop, when the when the population is lower and, and these bucks have you know less competition so yeah we saw you know talking about that imbalance my yeah. friend's farm in the southern part of the state a couple of years ago the first day of rifle season both watching big ag fields and in the woods i think we we, we threw out a number we probably saw combined close to 250 deer oh, that wow. first day the wow. next year they had um, a series of deep snows, and then they had some snows later in the year, like in late February, where they had freezing rain, and they had snow on top of it, and it formed this crazy hard crust. Yeah. And, uh, and I mean, it, it, it took a toll on them. They found a lot of dead deer. They actually found a couple of deer in their barns, who out of the last ditch effort were just trying to find something to eat, yeah. going there and digging through straw. So, yeah. you know, Mother Nature always puts things back in place. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think that know. was uh, part of the the reason I'm seeing low turkey numbers. And uh, I think that when I put my trail cameras back out, I'm going to see a, a lower quantity of deer this year because that same exact thing happened in Iowa where we had a freezing rain and it and then it turned to ice, right? And then it didn't – then it – the temperatures got real low, lots of snow on top of it, and they really had to work for all those little extra nuggets oh, of food yeah. in the field and digging out the acorns. And I think that's part of the reason that the turkey population this year uh, was a little bit lower than normal, and the hunting wasn't near as good this year. Has to be. I mean, can you yeah. imagine being a turkey trying to dig through layers upon layers of yeah. just snow then frozen ground and, and it, yeah i can't imagine that that wouldn't lead to some significant problems with turkeys yeah absolutely absolutely all right so when when you reached out to me uh on facebook and uh you know said hey man uh, i live in west virginia if you're ever looking for someone you know and we set this up you mentioned something about starting an urban hunt in the in was it in morgantown yeah, yeah, it was super successful. Uh, so that would be 2010. Okay. Uh, Break that down for us. Yeah, sure. So um, the city manager at that time reached out to uh, somebody that you may know. Uh, I don't know if you know Dr. David Samuel. Uh, um, he he was a he's the conservation editor for Bowhunter Magazine. Okay. He'd be a, he'd be a great guest for your your show too. Um, but he's a he's a retired. Uh, PhD wildlife guy here at WVU and he was asked to start a task force to figure out how we could solve the problem. 
So, of course, he put all these things together, and uh, <clears throat> one of the options was a bow hunt. And they kind of sat on it. And a year later, after more people came and complained about deer issues, uh, they voted in 2011 to, to have the first urban hunt. And I was on that committee, and Dr. Gates said, I don't have time to run this. Who would like to, to lead this? And it was something I was interested in. It was something that I saw as a challenge because of all the perceptions about bow hunters and, and their role in things. So I volunteered, and we never looked back. Oh, awesome. First year, we, we harvested 45 deer, and it was on a very controlled, you know, limited number of properties. Uh, we didn't have any deer running down Main Street, you know, with arrows. Yeah, yeah. Forty-five deer to 125 deer the next year. So it's it's been great. I think uh, in the you know in the in the first eight years we've killed somewhere around 700 deer. We've donated. We have a program where our hunters can donate, and the city picks up the tab for the processing. Our guys drop them off, pick up the meat, and uh, <clears throat> we have like a handful of, of places that either it's a food shelter or it's a hospice somewhere that they feed people. Wow. And I think this year we cracked uh, the 7,200-pound mark of ground, ground venison. 7,200 so pounds. 7,200 pounds, yeah. Three, wow. three plus tons. So we're we're hoping this year we can we can break the four ton mark with our with our efforts. Right. So when this when this all started, you know, what were some of the deer complaints that led to this? Well, you know, the the, the normal uh, landscaping, uh, auto, deer auto collisions. Uh, there was a, a handful of people that were concerned about Lyme disease. Okay. I don't know if you really ever followed that map. The CDC has some really good maps. And you can just see that spread from the northeast just kind of down. And it's it's certainly in, in our entire state now. But that was a big concern. You know, people have kids playing outside, and they're active, and, and people like to walk in parks and, and do things. And the number of cases increased. But mostly it was just property damage. Yeah, yeah. So when, when you say to uh, a community, hey, we're going to initiate – bow hunting did that come down to uh like city council meetings or anything like that where the public yeah. had an opportunity to voice their opinions because just like you know you guys dropping the facts and saying this is going to help with all these things i'm sure there was the opposing side coming in and saying we don't like killing animals yeah i mean there was a little bit of that i was really surprised at how minimal there was actually uh, people proposed uh, or, or opposed to it. <clears throat> uh, but they did have to change the city ordinance. Uh, we came up with a really nice set of rules. Uh, you know, it's not just, hey, let's do this. Uh, you had to you had to go through a, a training course, um, International Bow Hunter Education Foundation safety course. It's a day-long course. Uh, you have to have written permission from the uh, the landowner. The properties have to be evaluated, you know, for safety. And, uh, you know, everybody, it's very transparent. Everybody's on the same page. In fact, uh, the first meeting we had, there was probably 100 people there. 
And Dr. Samuel got up in front of everybody and said, hey, if you're interested in doing this, this first year it's going to be antlerless deer only. And 25 people just walked out the door. And he because said, all they wanted to do was kill the big buck that was running in their neighborhood. <laughs> Absolutely. So he said, this, this is the group of people you want to start with, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, we have killed some big bucks. Uh, but I would say on average we kill about 75% of them are our antlers harvests. Right, right. So is there a, any stipulations? Like I know in uh, some of the communities around where I live, they have an urban hunt. They have uh, in-city limit huntings on, in designated areas. But in order for you to get a buck tag, you have to kill, I think, five does first. And because the whole, the whole point of this urban hunt is to thin the population down where it's not creating those quote unquote deer problems anymore. And it's just not, you know, hunting for big bucks. So do you guys have yeah, a stipulation? You Okay. Describe that. Yeah. So the state of West Virginia gives each of our urban hunters uh, seven tags. Uh, they don't count against your regular license and they don't come at a cost. And <clears throat> out of that seven, you're permitted to have a maximum of uh, two bucks, five does, and each buck has to be preceded with a doe harvest. Okay. So uh, definitely everybody, their first year has to be a doe. Their second one can be a buck. But out of that seven, five of them have to be antlerless deer. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. And uh, from the numbers that you've already given us, it sounds like it's been a huge, huge success. Yeah, it has, you know, and uh, the things that, that, that I think that, that I major success in and, and, and the people that, I, that, that participate in this project feel the same, I'm sure, is, you know, being able to give back to the, the community. It's hassle-free. We've never had an accident. It's very transparent. Everybody knows there's, if you say, oh, I didn't know there was an urban hunt going on or where it was going on, you've had your head in the sand somewhere. Right. Um it's very discreet. Uh, so those are the things that I, you know, uh, find successful. But most of all is when people come up to me and say, hey, look, I, I don't know anything about hunting. I've never hunted, but uh, we would like you to come to our property. Right. And, and, and we trust you, you know. That's a, that's a big deal for me. Uh, and it speaks volumes at the, at the work that our men and women have done across the city in winning people over that may have been lukewarm about hunting, but now they saw that it can be done effectively, discreetly. You know, nobody's driving down high street with their tailgate down and big buck hanging out with its tongue out, stuff like that. It's done discreetly. It's done to a, to a degree where people say, Hey, I don't mind you doing that. You know, I, I would like that. So have you had any other communities reach out to you guys um, for information about starting an urban hunt because, and the reason I ask this is because you hear about these crazy asinine things going on in right. the places like Long Island or, or Ann Arbor, other, Michigan. Yeah. Where they're catching deer, castrating them, then letting them go. Yeah. It, you know, even if I didn't, uh, even if I didn't participate in this project, that would alarm me. Uh, <laughs> Because it's you and I look at that and we say, my gosh, that's crazy, right? Right. I can't even put myself in the same 
you know, mindset. If somebody, and, and I don't know where they get all this money. Right. And we were doing our research. I forget how many thousand dollars it would cost to, to, to transfer a deer, to, to dart a deer and, and do those surgical procedures. But, uh, yeah, we have had several other cities. Uh, we have some satellite cities that are a little bit smaller than Morgantown that we're, we're working with that maybe implement, you know, independent hunts in those cities. So that's something that in the coming years I hope we can get off the ground. Right. But, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a win-win for everyone. Right. And that's crazy that, you know, these people are catching deer or they, they're darting them. They're, they're castrating them. They're releasing them back in the wild. All, all the meanwhile, that's a cost, except what you guys are doing is what, what would you say the only cost is from a financial standpoint to running this, right? I take it you're on a, you're 100% volunteering to do this. Yeah. yeah. So two costs. It's uh, the cost to print the permits, right, that the city manager yep. signs individually. That cost, I don't know what that would be, $3. And uh, $55 a deer is what a local processor. They grind it up. They put them in two-pound packages. And uh, everything else from, from the hunting to the, the drop-off of the deer, the pickup of the deer, the delivery of the meat, all voluntary. Right, right. So and I take it... Guys that, even the processor, that, I take it. Even the processor is not charging you guys full price for that. No, no, right, no. Right. It's it's a win win for everyone. So uh, take fifty five dollars versus for uh, one to to dart and relocate those deer to the state forest at a thousand dollars a pop minimum. I mean, it's it's just a no brainer. It's just like I said, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around the thought process. You know trying to support the idea that we're going to, we're going to spend tax dollars on something like this. Yeah. Well, at the same time, that money is going to help less fortunate individuals. You know, like you said, 7,200 pounds can go a long way for, now let me ask you this in order to receive that free venison, what, what do people have to do? Do they just have to request it? Do they have to sign up to be part of the receival program or how's that work? You know, we really just did it by word of mouth. Gotcha. So it was, it was, it was either soup kitchens that are established, right. Or organizations that are licensed and established that we worked with. So right now I think we have five that we work with and, uh, you know, they are, there's nothing better. You know, I, I have two, two daughters and, and now they're, you know, they're 17 and 13 and, uh, you know, they go with me and, and drop off and help and, you know, they love it. And, and early on we would, uh, you know, every time we did a delivery, I'd drop a line to the local TV station, you know, just to kind of, just to promote and show people that, you know, we're doing something good and it's, it's not all blood and guts, right? And not a whole right. bunch of, neanderthals out there and it's it's just it's paid off man yeah yeah that's awesome and that is that, that's something that i really think oh i i wish that the hunting industry and the hunting community would showcase more of because 
typically non-hunters think that we just go out, not all non-hunters, but you know, the bad side of the non-hunting that, that maybe they're leaning a little bit more to the anti-hunting side of things. All they see is us killing an animal and putting the head on the wall. Right. So that they just think that we're some bloodthirsty killers when in all actuality, we're giving back to the community way more than they ever have. Right. By providing less fortunate individuals with clean, wholesome protein. Yeah. And, 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 and hundred dollars that go into, you know, you know, wildlife programs, right. Uh, Tim and Robertson monies, uh, are, are footing the bills. And, you know, it's, uh, if you, if you, I've, I've heard people talk and I don't know if anything's been formally, you know, introduced in Congress, but putting an excise tax on backpacks or hiking boots, yep. you know, there would be a tremendous outcry. I think from a lot of people, they would say, no way, man, this, this is overtaxed. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we, we happily, uh, pay the bills every year. So I think that's, that's right. what's unique about outdoors men and women uh, in this yep. country. Yep. And to be honest with you, we really don't complain about it too much either. No, nobody complains about it when you have the opportunities. Like I said, from, from, from my home, the opportunities I have in the outdoors are unbelievable. Right. You know, I, and, uh, the, and it's not just hunting and fishing, the parks, uh, the state forests, all of that, yeah. uh, in some way, shape or form can, can thank a hundred dollars. That's awesome. That's really, and I, you know, I, I'm going to do my part by, you know, putting this out on the interwebs and showcasing this conversation that we've had about that. Uh, but I, I wish that if there's anybody else in the hunting community and the hunting industry that listens to this, we have to reward this kind of behavior, just like we do rewarding someone who shoots a really big buck. Because I think that once that message gets spread and we take less value off the antler and more value off, let's say, just just the hunting uh, and what it provides to people that I think we we win more than what we're already doing. I agree. And, and I'll tell you a positive message that I was going to bring up today uh, is the message of your story from last year and the effort you you made to find that buck uh, was, was an outstanding example of, uh, of what, how everyone should, should, um, should handle themselves yeah. uh, out there. I mean, I, I know it wasn't ideal, yeah. but man, you set a huge example there. And I think that was fantastic. I'm sure it wasn't an easy story to share, yeah. uh, but I'll tell you what, you did a great job. And I think that's a, that's a really fine example that you set, and I'm glad you shared it with the, with your audience. Yeah, and I'll tell you what what's crazy about that whole thing is, I I showed the reality of hunting, right? Not a lot of people do that, right? There's there's a handful of us in, and, and I feel like a douchebag when I say this, but in the hunting industry or hunting community or whatever, <laughs> who put us content providers, right? Who show the reality of hunting? Bad shots happen, right? you know, wounding deer happens. So I, I share this story, right. And I end up finding this deer. And unfortunately I didn't feel comfortable using the meat because of the smell and how long that this deer was out. And I still got kickback from the hunting community 
and others in it saying, you know, listen, this, this guy, if he, he, he better start practice practicing or he's going to do this again, or he didn't, uh, he didn't eat the meat. He's a trophy hunter, that kind of thing. And I just like those people, you know, they're just keyboard monsters and all they want to do is, uh, uh, ruin someone day. But dude, I, I just shot the biggest buck of my life. And the only thing that I could think about was the fact that I had to make the decision to not use this meat. And it really, it really messed with my head. It's, it's, listen, it's tough, Yeah. but just put those people, I mean, you yeah. know, you know, in the back of your head, those people are 1% and they're That's the right. same people that get on message boards and troll people, um, <laughs> you know, about, yeah. you know, and, and, and the, listen, I like to shoot a big buck, right? Um, but it's it's not a, at the end of the day. It's not about that. I like the thing you say a lot on your on on your podcast is if he speaks to me when he comes in and he gives me a little feeling, you know, that's right. Uh, I'm going to let him have it, and and that's how I am. <laughs> that's and right. uh, you know, uh, that's that message should be uh, perpetuated more through outdoor television, outdoor media. And I think, uh, I think as a whole, uh, the, the community would be in a much better place. Yeah. All facts, my friend, all facts. So you also, you don't just hunt West Virginia, right? So was it this past season you went on your first out-of-state hunt to Illinois? I did, yeah. So I've been out-of-state for like uh, elk a couple times. Okay. Unsuccessful. But uh, I got to, I got to uh, tackle uh, the Midwest uh, for the first time and and hunt Pike County, Illinois, uh, this, this past fall. Okay. So did you go to a buddy's farm? Did you go to an outfitter? what did you do? Yeah, I was, I was really, I'm really fortunate to have a friend that, that has some property. His family has some property and I got invited and, um, sold my, sold my, uh, my wife and my boss, uh, that I was going to be out of the office for 10 days and got uh, clearance from both of those, them and, uh, never looked back. So we hunted, uh, I think we got out there November 8th. Gotcha. And uh, their shotgun season opens the next Friday, so it would have been the 15th. So we hunted from the, the 8th through the 14th. And, uh, man, it was it was incredible. It was it was everything that I thought had in my mind of this Midwest whitetail experience, you know? Yeah. So the when you when you show up to your buddy's house, you know, obviously there's high antip- anticipation because you're, you're hunting – one of the most renowned counties in all of whitetail hunting, right? Pike County, Illinois, you know, the average, you know, if I went there and started knocking on doors to try to hunt, I'd be knocking for a real long time before someone would let me, would let me hunt there. But when you, when you, was your first hunt a morning hunt or was it an afternoon hunt? It was an evening hunt. So we left real early in the morning. And I, I'm not going to lie to you, and your your listeners will probably laugh, uh, just as my friends did. I was so amped up about getting out there. Uh, I think we left at three in the morning. I was up at one. I'm pounding coffee. You know, I'm jacked up. We get an hour out of town, and I don't know if it's just because I didn't have any food in my stomach. I got car sick. Oh, buddy. And uh, I was so amped up, but we got car sick, got it out of the way. We got out there. Uh, got got to the spot, 
and uh, our first hunt was a, was an evening hunt, and I uh, saw a lot of deer that evening. Uh, nothing that I wanted to wrap my pack around, uh, but very quickly, I think it was the third sit. Um, you know, sitting on a little oak ridge, dropped down into a really deep ravine, and I hear some grunting, and I look down, and here comes, you know, six or seven does. They circle my stand. I have my bow in the hand. I look back, and here's the deer I came to shoot. Um, I'm not a big score guy, but I would say probably in the in the 140s somewhere, upper 140s. Yeah. Real tall, tall, heavy rack. Had some splits, and I'm thinking this is the deer, you know. And he comes up, and uh, he stopped, and he was trying to find the doe, and then he full charges her, cuts her out of the group and chases her back down into the ravine. Uh, and and I, if, if that's the only close encounter I had on that trip, it would have been worthwhile because it, right. was, it was pretty fantastic. So then, so he, he chased this doe back out into the property, and then when did you eventually shoot him? I mean, did they come oh, back was, later that day? No, no this was, this was, a, this was a, that was my first experience with a, a shooter. Oh, okay, I got you. Shooter, you know? I got you, yeah. So then uh, the next evening, I had another nice deer come in. Same scenario, he's walking down. I'm, I'm, I got a, I've already ranged the trailies on, and same thing. Uh, he needs to take four or five more steps to get in the clear, and he just goes tearing after this doe. Um, and that was heartbreaking because that's, you know, two close calls. Cause you know on a trip you only get so many chances. Right. So I was feeling like I was running a little short. But on the second to last morning, uh, I'd say about 8 o'clock, I looked up to my left, and this big uh, big nine-point had a couple busted tines uh, just out. He was the, the most visible deer. I think of the four of us, every one of us saw him that week and uh, came down and gave me about a 25-yard shot. Uh, gave him a, a little whistle to stop him. And he was focused on a smaller buck that was bedded down, so that really helped me a lot. He had his ears cocked, and he was kind of assessing the situation and uh, gave him a little whistle and put the air where it needed to go. He only went maybe 60 yards and flipped over, and uh, I couldn't believe it. And uh, so, the biggest body deer I'd ever shot. And, right. uh, you know, I think I think they they – you know, we, I think the, the butcher said somewhere, you know, pushing 200 pounds. Right. Really guts, nice deer. Guts out 200 pounds? Guts out 200 pounds. Yeah, yeah big, buddy. big fat-bodied deer. Yeah, buddy. Made some fantastic steaks. Uh, yeah, I love that. I'll tell you what, I, I like, don't get me wrong, everybody likes big antlers. But there's something about walking up or seeing Big body, almost like a cow walking through a, you know, a cow just completely silent walking through the the pasture or the timber or the field, wherever, and he's just got this this Brahma bull type attitude about him, and he's like this mature, like on steroids type buck, dude. I I I like yeah. that just as much as I like big antlers. The the first thing I noticed when I saw him coming down the ridge towards me, as I noticed. He doesn't have a neck, you know. 
it's like his body just kind of grew into his face. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, and, I, and I know he was swollen up and he was fired up, uh, but his, just his anatomy. I yeah. mean, it was just so much different. And um, I think that's the other thing that, you know, we saw a lot of bucks, saw a lot of deer. But when you look at some of those areas of, of that part of the, the, the county and the country from like a Google Maps, just the, the insane amount that those deer have to access to in terms of if it's not corn, it's soybeans. If it's not soybeans, it's corn. Right. It's just amazing for somebody to come from here where agriculture is really not a thing Yeah, uh, in yep. terms of row crops. So that was pretty eye-opening. But awesome. a great experience, and hopefully someday I'll, I'll get invited back and, and uh, Do it make again. it happen again. Awesome. Well, I tell you what, Rick, man, I, I really appreciate this conversation today. Had a blast chatting with you. Thank you very much for taking time out of your day and hopping on and uh, sharing all those experiences with you. And, and lastly, I just want to say thank you for what you're doing on that urban hunt side of things and uh, what you're doing with the the meat and how that gets uh, donated. I think that's that's awesome. Well, I appreciate it, man. And, you know, keep doing what you're doing because your message is a positive and B, uh, really the like I said, really the message that that I think uh, that needs to be heard in some of the that gets lost a little bit in some of the the outdoor media. So keep doing what you're doing, man. It's fantastic. 